G'day, and welcome to episode 8 of Adventures on the Road podcast. I'm Shane, and right off the bat, I'd like to thank Craig for his great review of us. We were chuffed to see it. So thank you, Craig, for taking the time and sending it through. Now, coming up in this episode, we venture to Outback Queensland, we talk a winter warmer in the quick cook-up, and chat to that Aussie larrikin, Macca. Support for today's show comes from Charleville in Outback Queensland in the form of the Cosmos Centre. Now this is one of my most favourite places in Queensland but it has been a while and I was amazed at the changes they have made. So let's dive right in and speak to Michael about the exciting things you can do and see at this fantastic attraction. G'day Mike, how are you going? Good and yourself? Yeah, really good thanks. Okay, so what, what's the first thing we can do when we get to the Cosmos Centre during the day? During the day? Well, there's a couple of things that we actually have on offer. The best thing I would do when I walk in, especially after travelling, I would go straight to the cafe and get a really nice coffee because a little bit of caffeine while you've been travelling is always a good thing. But then I would start looking at the different tours that we have during the day. And we actually have two different things you can do during the day. You can kind of nerd out and go have a look at the sun with all the solar flares and the sunspots. Or if you wanted a little bit of different nerding, you can go into our Astronomy by Day, which is our self-guided interactive area. And it also has a little theatre on the back of it as well that will play, you know, six videos. They're five minutes in length. So these videos that we sit and watch, are they just talking about the solar system in general? Yeah, so it's all mainly science. So that does a little bit of human science as far as body, and then it does, of course, astronomy science as well. So a little bit about our solar system, and it kind of ties it all in. There's a little bit of the cultural stuff in there on those videos. And obviously there's a whole heap of interactive displays that we can touch and feel and play with. Yes, absolutely. Plenty of buttons, uh, plenty of wow factors as well, because some of this stuff, I mean, it's quite amazing. Who who knows really how the astronauts go to the bathroom in space on the International Space Station? It's not something we think of, uh, but this is the type of stuff you'll learn when you're walking around that interactive area. What about do they talk about what they eat? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, in fact, there's a couple of uh, samples of the food out there, um, and in fact, you can even buy kind of like this free dry, freeze dried ice cream in our souvenir shop as well. So. If you wanted to see or taste what they actually have for ice cream, yeah, you can get it and, and eat it yourself. And I, I know I'm a little bit biased, but it actually does taste like ice cream. You would think that it would taste, you know, really bad or something, but it really tastes like ice cream. I like a good ice cream. <laughs> yeah, and so do I. What could we organise for ourselves to do of a night time? I mean, you've got about, what, four different tours, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, and you know, it's even growing. Um, so there's going to be more tours coming around the future as well. So it's it's quite amazing. The four at the moment, though, that we have, I would say they're quite cool because they're all different, and that's what I love about it so much. So to give you an idea, we have our general observatory, and this happens in our massive observatory that houses four 14-inch telescopes. Uh, you know, the whole sliding roof opens. You'll get to see about five to six different objects in there. And it's, uh, it's really fun. I mean, it's our, our most basic astronomy science tour that we have. So for the people that don't know a great deal, that do want a beautiful introduction to the night sky, this is definitely the tour for you. Uh, so that's one of the things, anyhow. 
Now, I'm just going to stop you there. Yeah. Did yeah. I hear you say 14-inch telescope? Yeah, four of them, yeah. Well, I, I can remember when I went <clears throat> a few years ago now, they were 12-inch, so you've upgraded them. We have, yeah. That, that was one of the first things I did when I got out here. We looked at the uh, telescopes, saw the life left in them, saw how they were going, and decided that we needed to get new ones. And in doing that process, instead of just replacing 12, we thought, let's let's do the 14s. That's going to make the viewing even, even more spectacular, isn't it? I tell you what, when you come out and you have a look at a globular cluster like Amiga Centauri, for example, and, and for the listeners, if you don't know what Amiga Centauri is, a, it's a globular cluster, and that means it's a really tight-packed group of stars, and in Amiga Centauri, you know, there's several million stars all clumped together, and seeing that through a 14-inch telescope, it will leave your mouth on the ground. Wow, okay, all right, so that's that's what we see on, on the General Observatory Tour. Yes. But you also do a small personal one i believe we do yeah so this is for uh my kindred nerdy spirits out there if you love and i'm talking just got a burning passion and love for the night sky this tour is for you it's longer so you get instead of an hour it would be one and a half hours instead of five to six objects we go crazy this is a tour for me and we have a 14 inch telescope in there as well it's a beautiful scope that one and i go crazy so i spend so much time going let's look at this let's have a look at this one and the number of objects we get through is really depending on the guests themselves i mean some nights we'll have some guests that will ask a lot of questions so we'll only get to see about 10 different objects other nights we'll get guests asking questions, but they'll get through the telescope really well. I think the maximum I ever had in one tour was 23 objects. Wow, 23. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I go a little bit crazy with it, but I love it. I absolutely love that tour. It's so amazing. But it is, it is more involved. So, for the general one, for example, we would really never get into the nitty-gritty of, say, a black hole. What is a black hole? How big do they get? How does it work? How does time dilation work around a black hole? So that that's the type of thing we do in the small and personal. Now, okay, we're, we're into the stars, the planets and so forth. A photo bug. Have you got something to, to sort of satisfy the, the, the person with the camera? I do indeed. So other than being an astronomer, I'm also an astrophotographer. So one of the tours that i love to get my hands on when i can actually do it is the astrophotography tour so mark and i are the astrophotographers out here uh, so if you have a dslr camera and you i find a lot of people have these beautiful cameras but they never really experience it too much in the manual mode everyone will go more for the automatic settings and rely on the camera so if you want to know how to take an amazing photo of the night sky and your automatic will simply not do that, and I can tell everyone now it won't, won't work, it just won't happen, you need to understand the manual settings. So what you do is you come along to our tour, our astrophotography tour. It's like one and a half hours. We'll give you a tripod if you don't have one, uh, and you just come out with Mark or myself, and we will go through the settings. We will not only go through the settings, but we'll give you an understanding of 
your camera and how it actually works. And therefore, that empowers you to take amazing photos of the night sky. And then for the rest of the trip, you'll just be staying up all night taking as many photos as you can. It gets very addictive. Is it just taking photos of the night sky that you do with photography or is there something else that you do? So at the moment, anyhow, phase one is is taking photos of the night sky and that's when it's clear. And in fact, if it's cloudy, uh, we still do it because some of the best photos I've ever taken uh, is with cloud cover. Uh, And I know it sounds really weird because when we do have cloud cover, everyone kind of walks around, all the staff kind of walks around a little bit sad because we know that, uh uh-oh, clouds, our normal tours, what are we going to do? How is this going to go? We're not going to be able to show people. So, So everyone starts getting a little bit sad. But you'll look over at Mark. And he'll be jumping up and down with excitement. And you look at him going, it's like 80% cloud cover. This is not good. And he'll just turn around with a big smile on his face going, oh, yeah, for the photos, it's amazing. That cloud cover actually adds another layer. So it adds like that depth of field in your photos. And that's only phase one. And then next year, uh, we'll be doing adding to it. And we'll be doing phase two for that as well. So that's Exciting times now and exciting times to come. Okay, I'm just making a note here. I think I'm going to have to uh, give you another call next year and, and find out about this phase too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to give it away too much, but uh, it, it, let me put it this way. Phase two will be – phase one is about the night sky. Phase two is what's beyond. So that's Ooh. all I'm going to answer. Yeah, I can't say anything more than that. I'll give it away if I do. Ooh, so. That's definitely a teaser, beyond. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. all right. <laughs> now, like, I've heard that there's a bigger telescope coming to Charleville. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You are right. <laughs> can, can, can you enlighten us? If you'll pardon the post. <laughs> um, I've got to be very careful what I'm saying now. You're putting me on the spot. Um, so, okay, we, we have a new telescope. And, in fact, I did leak a couple of photos of it on our Facebook page. So if anyone does want to actually see the size, because seeing the size of this compared to the size I'm about to tell you, there is no comparison. It's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling. I look at this thing and... Um, it is so big that we refer to it. So the official name of our brand new telescope that isn't out for the public yet, we are creating, we're building a brand new observatory for it, and we're building a, a new tour to go around it as well. Um, but this telescope is 30 inch in diameter. This thing is huge. I mean, absolutely huge. And and like I said, it's, I leaked a photo of me standing next to it on, on, on Facebook. Um, and like I'm, what, 1.72 meters. Uh, and when you see me next to the star cannon and it's pointing to an object that would be directly above it, uh, when you see me next to it, I feel so tiny. It's a game changer. It, it really is a game-changing telescope to have at a public astronomy centre. So we're very lucky, very, very lucky. Is, is there any other um, public telescope that uh, matches this? No other centre for the public houses a 30-inch except for the Charleville Cosmos Centre. That sounds absolutely sensational. Okay, yeah. I'm going to have to start planning another trip out to Charleville, <laughs> I can see, because that would be absolutely sensational. Well, you might have to hold off a couple more months as well and come check out the brand-new planetarium too. 
Now, if you want to win a Shuttle Chef cooker valued at $394, delivered to your door, courtesy of Thermal Cookware, go to our website, adventuresontheroad.com.au, and click on the Competitions tab and submit your entry. You have until the 27th of September, 2019. Now, here is our last quick cook-up segment with Alan for the moment. Couldn't be a better recipe after the extreme cold weather of the last week almost everywhere in Australia. Yep, I know, up north, it's lovely this time of year. Don't rub it in. It's mulled wine in the thermal cooker. What about, yes, what about when it's, it's, it's winter time and, um, you know, we're having a happy hour, but we might want to have a cold glass of wine. Is, is there some recipe you've got that could be like a wine, but a bit warmer? I, I certainly can. I've got one there, and this is one that, that came to us from a lot of our uh, travellers on the road, and this is something that they call their Christmas in July because it's a lovely wintertime meal, but they will have it in August or September or October, depending on how the fancy takes them. And what it basically is is poached pears in a spicy mulled wine. So especially when those green pears are in season and they're as cheap as chips all over the place, to, to get yourself a, uh, a bag full of green pears, peel the outside but leave the stalk on it. Then you're going to put them inside your saucepan and you're going to cover it with a, um, a red wine of any description. I call it Chateau Cardboard. It doesn't have to be anything special. It can be a cask wine because you're going to turn it into a mulled wine, into a special spicy fruit wine. Now, I usually have uh, pre-made a bouquet garnet. In other words, a little muslin bag with all my spices in there. And the reason I do it in a little bag like that, there's nothing as sad as tipping the dregs of your wine back in the dark and finally you've got a, a throat full of cloves that you didn't expect. So a little, a little muslin bag that has the spices. And once again, this can be pre-made up, you know, many, many hours before. Now, with your spices in this situation, you can mix and match anything you like. If you look up Moles Wine on Google, there's thousands upon thousands of recipes for it. But basically, it's um, nutmeg and it's cloves and it's cinnamon sticks. Uh, it can be star anise. It can be whatever you want to put into the whole thing. But you make up the little spice mix that suits you and have it in a little muslin bag. And I, once again, keep a little plastic container with half a dozen of them in there so I can make a mulled wine at a, at a very quick pace if I need to. So let's go back to these poached pears. You've got your saucepan. You've put your peeled pears in there. You've covered it with wine. Now, I usually put about a half a cup of caster sugar into that wine to sweeten it all up a little bit. So you stir it all through with the wine. Um, I'm going to st- sit in there my little bouquet garnet, which is my cinnamon and um, and uh, cloves and whatever else into the whole thing. So it's sitting in there. Now, I do like the, le- the zest of a lemon or a lime. So you can either put a whole peel in if you like or just zest it off the outside of your, uh, your citrus and put that into it. Uh, a good squeeze of bush honey. Um, and once again, the honey can make such a difference in flavor depending on where you've got your bush honey from. So that whole lot is now going to sit on the stove, Tom. It needs about a five to ten minute gentle simmer. Now, it doesn't need to be boiling strongly at all. It's just a very, very gentle simmer. Now, once you've given it that ten minutes, the whole saucepan goes into the shuttle chef, close the lid down, and leave it to brew. 
Now, it will be ready to eat and to drink, if you like, and eat in about an hour or so's time. But if you can do that in the morning and leave it all day long, the longer the pears are in there, the more blood red they will become and the more the pear flavor will end up into your wine. So the end of the day comes around, especially if you're sharing with friends, you can say, okay, I will bring the entree and the dessert. You guys supply the dinner. So you sit down, you're ready to uh, have your entree, which is going to be a mug of mulled wine. But remember one thing, with the shuttle chef, when the lid is closed, there is no evaporation. In other words, there's no loss of alcohol out of the wine. So a mug of mulled wine is a full-bodied mug of wine. So you pour out your mug of wine, you close the lid back down again to keep the pears nice and hot. You uh, start with your wine, you go and have your barbecue or whatever dinner you're having with friends, and then you finish for your desserts by taking these beautiful blood red pears out. And if you have that with yogurt or cream, it's a meal you'd pay money for. And if there's a little bit of mulled wine left, you've got something to wash it down with at the end. You certainly have. You certainly have. It's funny. When I first put that recipe out on our uh, website, um, I mentioned to people that um, any of the wine left over in your saucepan, you can mix it with your yogurt and you end up with this beautiful dark, dark purpley yogurt that you can put all over the top of it. And I had these incredible emails that came back from all over the place saying, what wine left? There never is any <laughs> wine left. The wine is all gone by the time you're ready to have your pears. <laughs> Ah, yes, I can well imagine. I can well imagine. Thanks, Alan, from Thermal Cookware. Next time, stand by for something different. Our next guest probably needs no introduction to most of you. Our friends at What's Up Down Under have loaned us Macca for a chat. So let's hear his first go at a podcast. Well, I'd like to welcome to Adventures on the Road... Macca from What's Up Down Under. G'day, Macca. Shane, good to see you, mate. Well, actually, I'm not seeing you, am I? It's a, uh, it's a podcast. I'm actually on the telephone, so I can't see you, but I know what you look like. And it's good to talk to you again, mate. That's the scary part, isn't it? Yeah, this is what happens with modern technology, mate. This is it. So, listen, tell me, what have you been up to the last few days? Mate, I've been on a shoot with What's Up Down Under. We've been down in Victoria, beautiful, sunny Victoria. And uh, in the dead of winter, of course, I was being facetious then. So actually, it was mostly pretty good weather, but a bit chilly, mate. You can do that this time of year, can't it? Can indeed. <laughs> mate, so we've just done a, a journey from um, Lawn, and we followed the Great Ocean Road, and then we've ended up up in the Grampians at Hall's Gap. So, mate, what is probably, in my opinion, an absolute cracking little holiday for people who live in Melbourne because at, at any stage of that, you're, you're kind of only a few hours from home. So, but some of the most spectacular terrain that Australia has to offer, mate, it was awesome. So did you actually go along the Great Ocean Road? Yeah, well, most of it, mate. There's bits of it there that have got roadworks on at the moment. And, um, and look, <laughs> to, to be open and honest with you, sometimes when you make TV, the uh, the powers to be can get a little bit uh, hard to deal with. So there's certain parts of the Gradation Road that we actually weren't allowed to film unless it was certain times of day and certain conditions and certain things. So we actually had to miss those. And there's a bit of roadworks going on down there at the moment too. So, but, but the majority of it, yeah, absolutely. One of the one of my favourite drives. I love it. The scenery is just magnificent, isn't it? 
Ah, oh, second to none, mate. And, and I love the story of the place too. Like, um, I interviewed uh, one of the gentlemen down there uh, at the uh, – his name escapes me at the moment, but he he, um, he looks after the Tourist Information Centre there at, uh, at Lawn. And uh, he was telling me they're actually having a bit of a push at the moment to change the name of the Great Ocean Road to the Anzac Highway because the road was actually built as a – War Memorial after World War One, some of the diggers came back from World War One and actually went down there themselves and cut that road by hand. So an amazing part of Australia's sort of modern ish history, I guess. And um, you know what for me? Let's change the name. I think it's great. Yeah, exactly. And I mean it, it's something that's iconic as far as Australia's concerned, but it's also iconic in that who was part of helping to build it. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So what they did, the story is that they handpicked the guys who had the right skill set, so they had to rappel down these cliffs. Because when you look at that coastline now and you look at that road, you'd imagine it's been cut in by, and I'm sure it has in more more times, been tidied up with bulldozers and excavators and things. But originally, they were pretty sheer cliff faces, and those guys had to rappel down the cliffs um, and use explosives and all those skills that they'd picked up for a a more dastardly region overseas, and then they bought them back and they used those skills to, to hand-cut all that road, and I think it's a really amazing story. I agree, and I think it's definitely something that, that should be commemorated and honoured in such a way by uh, renaming it. And if anyone's listening today, just email Shane and uh, get on the bandwagon because I'm too busy for all the emails to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Thanks for that, Mac. <laughs> so, not trying to load you up with work or anything, mate. Yeah, well, I've got nothing else better to do, right? <laughs> True story. <laughs> you know what have you feeling. been doing? Well, you know the feeling. It's been it's been busy times getting everything organised for the podcast, but uh, what was your experience like at the Grampians? Where did you stay? Dated Halls Gap, mate, at the Halls Gap, Gap Caravan Park, top spot, because it's right in the middle of town. So as far as if you want to go out for dinner or go out for beer, which I sometimes get the urge to do, um, probably half a dozen places within a couple hundred metres walk of that park. <laughs> it's susceptible to a cold beer on a hot day or even a cold day in this case. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the, from a tourist point of view, that park is all but a zoo. Like, if they have the most tame kangaroos, just hanging around in that park. You could walk up and just pat them, get a photo with them. I mean, from an international tourist point of view, it'd probably tick off everything in their bucket list in one destination. You know? So, and, and Halls Gap itself is just a beautiful little village. So, from one end of the country to the other, I've, yes. I've heard that you've been up the Cape recently. I have been up the Cape, mate. Talk about... Uh, the hottest part of Australia to the coldest part of Australia all within a couple of weeks. Yeah, we um, we just finished a trip from Cairns to Cape York before I started the the one from um, from Lawn to the Grampians. So, yeah, talk about one extreme from the other to the other. I was only a month ago, or three weeks ago, I was having a swim every day in a river or a creek or a nice beach if you make sure there was no snapping handbags around to, to make you into lunch. But, um, yeah, from that to... Rugged up and um, as cold as a kiss from your mother-in-law, as they say. So, mate, when, when you're up the Cape, did, did you see many snapping handbags? Yeah, quite a few, actually. Some in captivity, some in the wild, because um, one of our first stops was uh, Hartley's Crocodile Farm, just out of Cairns. And we went in there and the team looked after us and sort of took us through and you know, 
really good experiences there because there's so much knowledge you know, when it comes to the animals. And, and, and to be honest, to go and do something like that before you went and let yourself go wild up at Cape York where, where those sorts of things are around, it was a really good education process as to how to keep yourself safe when you learn about how fast they can move into the water and how far they can come out of the water sort of helps you to set up in your head where's a safe place to set up a camp near the water and all that sort of jazz. So um, and then as we went up, yeah, quite a few, mate. I, I couldn't tell you how many, but it, it would be more than 20 crocodiles we saw in the wild between Cairns and, um, and Cape York, mate. Did it feel any different seeing them in the wild to seeing them at the park? Well, it's kind of nice to see a nice big strong fence between yourself and them, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have that there. You're sort of standing up on the front of a tinny, flicking lures around trying to catch a barramundi and this big lizard runs down off the bank. You kind of put yourself in check and go, mate, maybe you shouldn't be as brave as you feel you are right now. I'll down in the bottom of the boat, old mate. <laughs> so did you catch many barra while you're up there? Nah, not a one, mate. They're blaming, well, I'm blaming the water temperature. Everywhere we went, it was, the water was still a little bit too cool for them. They're very much a fish that'll bite on the uh, on the water temperature. You know, they get a bit lazy when it's cold, a bit like us humans. Uh, but we did catch plenty of other stuff. So uh, successful from a fishing point of view. And uh, the weather was... Well, actually, it rained a little bit between Cairns and Cape Tribulation, but you can't, can't expect to go to a rainforest and not have some rain. So that's all right. But once we left there, magnificent sort of... Early 30s every day, not a cloud in the sky. It was um, not hard to enjoy, mate. Sorry to rub your nose into it. You weren't there. Yeah. Thanks, Macker. I'll, I'll remember <laughs> you at Christmas card time. Yeah, good on you, mate. <laughs> so did you get up to the actual tip, right up the tip? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, past the tip. So, so we um, we went to the tip, got our photos taken by the the solid, you know, because you haven't officially been there until you've had your photo at the solid, of course. Yes. But then we jumped on a boat and uh, and we went across to Thursday Island and Horn Island, which if you're going to go to Cape York, don't just stop at the sign. Well, that's all we could fit of Macca this episode. We'll finish the rest of Macca's chat about the Cape and Horn Island's World War II history, along with his overseas trip and new venture into Spice's next episode. So stay tuned. Next time we will introduce to you a young family as we start to follow them on their big lap. They will report in on the good, the bad and the ugly with tips and tricks and stats to help everyone planning this type of adventure. Thanks for listening once again. If you haven't yet, we would love you to subscribe so you don't miss out. Thanks also to our partners on the Road magazine, August edition, out now. I'm Shane. Until next time, have a safe journey.